0: KPLA Talk 1580, I'm your host, Angelique Francis, and this is Living in the Sweet Spot. We define the sweet spot as the intersection between power, divine timing, and performance, all to accomplish a purpose. Right here on the sweet spot, we discuss how life and circumstances, situations, and sometimes God, the universe, they work together to conspire to move you closer to your purpose. I have had the most amazing, incredible interviews and oh, about, you know, with these overcomers. We've, we've talked to athletes and activists and scientists, award-winning artists, educators, authors, agents for change, and we are all talking about these unimaginable, unexplainable, life-altering, life-saving, okay, undeniable, miraculous moments that encourage and instill hope And I think we have talked to some amazing people, and most of them are walking around in gratitude. And I love to bring these people forward that talk about their life and death experiences because it empowers you. And I've loved doing this. And I got uh, Kamal is on the boards today, and I appreciate you being here, Kamal, as always. And uh, I'm excited about our guest today. Um, You know, I am excited, really, because we're going to have Sweet Spot Live coming up in October, October 27th. So we're gonna bring some of the community's real stories, authentic stories forward. And you know, I put a little call out there last week to get people to Call me, send email to BelovedProductions.com, and to uh, even send it to the open mic feature right here at KBLA, right, so that we can get people to tell their real stories. I'm going to choose 12 stories from the community, and we're going to have a live presentation and with an amazing audience uh, at the Skirball Center, and I'm going to tell you more about it, but come on, I'm excited. You're excited, too. I know. <laughs> I don't have you mic'd, but hey. Hey. We're going to do it, and we're going to do it large. And um, I'm going to tell you who we're going to have. I mean, can't wait to bring this next guest forward and uh, all of this right here in the sweet spot. All right. Well, I'm excited because we have Mr. Darius Ryan right here in the sweet spot. Darius uh, is uh, from California, and he spent um, some time... Away at a California correction system for about 25 years, but he is a father of four. He's got nine siblings. Um, he is a son, a brother, and he is my guest right here in the sweet spot. I'm so excited to uh, share with you some of his writing, some of his passion, just what he's doing. He is an amazing dad, and I'm excited to have him share his journey his story. He knows that by sharing his story that he um not only enlightens others but uh creates healing not only for those that are listening but creates some restoration for himself. And I'm just happy to have you. What's happening, Darius? How are you? I'm oh, great. I'm excited to have you. That's how I am <laughs> <laughs> don't be shy. Step on in. I'm
1: happy to allow me this platform. Thank you.
0: Oh, no, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Well, let's get a little background on you. So you got nine brothers and sisters. Wow. That's a couple. (laughs) That's more than a couple. Tell us about growing up.
1: Uh, Growing up was cool. I enjoyed it. Um, (laughs) My sisters, uh, I had five sisters older than I. So I was doing it all over for the most part. And it was just fun. My sister Kim and I. She was my bully. She beat me up a lot. But <laughs> taught,
0: you, taught you how to fight?
1: <laughs> my sister taught me how to fight. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I loved it. And for, long, for five years, I was the only boy until A.D. and my little brother came along. And after that, I was his bully.
0: <laughs> okay. You repay the favor, huh? <laughs> That was good. so nice of you. <laughs> so, okay. So, is it, tell me what, you know, I know that you're a poet today. Growing up in school, did you like school? What was school like for you?
1: I did like school. My dad preached education. I'm glad he did. Um, school was always interesting and fun for me. Uh, I didn't do enough of it for the most part until, you know, things had changed about around 14. And school became not so pleasant for me. Took a couple losses. My mind changed. My mindset changed, and school was no longer fun or pleasant. Mm-hmm. It was a it wasn't escape anymore. Mm-hmm. Like for a long, school was my escape. I can go to school. I can study. I can read. I can learn. Enjoy. Um, but then, like said, around fourteen or fifteen, it was a place where
0: I went, and I started to notice everybody else's issues that I had the same issues of, and it was just it became bleak. What were some of those issues that stood out?
1: I noticed a lot of us had father issues, um, abandonment issues that we just couldn't deal with and didn't have the coping skills to deal with at the time. Um, my real father left when I was born. And so my stepfather stepped up and raised me from the time he passed until he t- until he passed away. So that was a blessing. I had someone who sat there and took on me and you know, no problem, and show me unconditional love and show me how to be a man and love my family. But at the same time, the, the, the not dealing with my my real father, those many times of him saying he would be there and never show up, those days when I was sitting on the porch forever waiting for him, counting every car, every headlight, praying there was him, and they just drove past. I would sit there sometimes from three o'clock in the evening when I got out of school until nine o'clock at night until I just got tired of waiting. Calling me wouldn't answer. So that's just one of the many issues that I dealt with.
0: How, how young do you remember being? Like, how early was that memory that you were waiting for your dad to pick you up, your real biological father?
1: I can be married back to about four years old when I remember my dad saying he would come see me or come get me and never would. And I always felt like I mean, I knew he had children over there, he was taking care of my stepsisters. And then he had another daughter, you know, my baby sister. And I was always wondering, well, damn, why don't my dad want to be around me? what is it about me that my dad doesn't like? Mm-hmm. And so that was difficult for me to deal with. And coming up, I just can't understand it. So I had a lot of resentment. Mm-hmm. And,
0: wow. Right. Absolutely. And then uh, <laughs> what kind of relationship did you have with your mom?
1: Growing up, my mother was my best friend. Um... But at the same time, my mother gave me some whole ways to deal with women, truly. My mother gave me issues because my stepdad gave my mother everything. Treat mm-hmm. her like a queen. And I saw my mom. I was, I was her wingman.
0: Really? <laughs>
1: okay. <And laughs> That's interesting. I, I saw my mom. Let's just say I know where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. she would take her and that was that and so I knew if my mother could be so cold towards a man who loved her so much any woman can do that
0: so so you didn't really trust women beyond that not at all okay we're going to talk more with Darius uh, when we come forward all of this in the sweet spot all right, if you're just joining me, we are living in the sweet spot, and we've got Darius Ryan with me, and I'm um, just enjoying uh, him and his just his openness and willingness to talk about his life and sort of where, where it began, and we're talking about his childhood and, you know, just how important fatherhood is and how important it is for your, your dad to sort of be there, right? And we're talking about... His relationship with his biological dad, his mom, and even his stepfather. What was your relationship with your stepfather like?
1: For the most part, my relationship with my stepfather was pretty good. Um, hands down he told me what it was to be a man, showed me what hard work was all about, about loving your family, taking care of your children. Uh, but on the other hand, I picked up some really negative traits for my stepfather when I was young. Um well, my stepfather came, when he came back from Vietnam, he came home, like a lot of people from Vietnam, he had addictions. Okay. And alcohol was his addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so at a young age, he started making drinks, and I would sneak drinks. And before that, an event happened in my family to where he started giving me drinks to help me sleep to deal with that event. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I was probably around five or six when that happened. So by seven, I was sneaking drinks on a regular. And when he found out, he didn't get mad. He just bought more liquor. And so I went from being just his stepson, well, being his son, because he never called me his stepson. I was always just his son, to being a little drinking buddy. Wow. Um, so that is one of the most negative things I've learned from my stepfather. Mm-hmm. Is that, was that your secret just between the two of you? Uh, I don't even think it was just a secret. Um, I think my mom knew and just turned a blind eye to it because, you know, my dad, and, you know, she just didn't trip mm-hmm. off of what he wished she should have. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, so it wasn't a secret. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So now you said once you got in high school, kind of, you started seeing uh, other kids like you, other young men like you, other boys that were going through similar loss, similar trauma similar you know situations right you didn't have a lot of you didn't have fathers some of you didn't recognize that in each other so maybe that was the need for finding it in the streets right some kind of belonging in the streets
1: yeah hands down i think um it happens with a lot of young men i think we'll sit back and look for things in our homes and when we can't find our homes it's easy to find it in the streets Um, when, when you sit back and you're told, you know, that boys behave a certain way and yet your family's behaving a different way. And so when you get around other young men who have been told the same things, um, who are scared, who are beaten and bruised and you get with them. And again, that's where the gang pack mentality comes from. You find strength in numbers Mm -hmm. and I'm your family. You have that camaraderie. We, I have this thing done with my father. You have this thing done with your mother. You know, your grandfather did this. You were beaten. You were bruised. And so we become collective mm-hmm. and we comfort each other. And so there it becomes our family. And then it's like, you know what? Um, if somebody has hurt you, I'm going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. And we took that on mm-hmm. <laughs> in a very serious way where it was it became life and death. You know, I'm not going to let anybody hurt you no matter what, you are my brother, you are my, you are my kin. You, if, if, if there could be anything closer than blood, you are it. And so.
0: Okay. So it sounds as though that you, you got involved in um, gang life and that was your family and that's how you existed and that's how you survived. And then what happened? How, what happened? And how, were you, did you go to jail more than once? Is this something that happened one time? What happened and why were you incarcerated? What age were you incarcerated?
1: Uh, I went to jail when I was nineteen. For the first, first time I ever it. Mm-hmm. for the first time I ever saw when I caught my case. I'd never been to juvenile hall, never been in camp, why anything. Um by the time I was sixteen, went back to my dad, I was a full fledged alcoholic. Mm. You know, didn't realize it because, you know, I was a lightweight drug dealer. So, you know, for me, alcoholic was somebody who's laying in the gutter or someone who was standing in front of a liquor store begging for alcohol, young brother, by my bottle. that wasn't me. So I never had an issue. Like, I'm not an alcoholic. What's wrong with you? Um, but I was. I, by hands down, I was a full-fledged alcoholic. There's no other way to look at it. Cause um, the chase, long story short. One night, I'm with my friend of mine. He gets into it. He takes off on a guy. I take off on a guy, same dude, when it's said and done, the man is dead, I'm alive, um, and, and that was the case. Did you know him? I did not. He was an innocent. To me, he was an innocent. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't, even though my friend may have known him, and they may have had whatever issue they had, I didn't know him. But again, back with the pack mentality, if my boy go, I go. Mm-hmm. Did your
0: boy get caught too?
1: Uh no, my boy told on me.
0: Hmm. So much for that family and, and that family unit, huh? Yes. So much for loyalty.
1: So much for loyalty. We live and we learn.
0: Mm-hmm. So you get 20. What What? What was the charge? You were charged with second degree?
1: My, my charge was second degree murder. I got found guilty on February, uh, almost a year later. I got, I got found guilty in January, 95, mm-hmm. almost exactly a year later. And my charge was saying murder and they sentenced me to 15 to life. I wound up doing 25 years from the time I was 15, uh, 19 until I was 44. Mm. I came home in 2019 and been breaking my back to do the best thing since. Okay.
0: All right. Well, you're out now. Let's talk about what, uh, what happened while you were in there? Like what did you learn how did you survive? Where are you today? Let's talk. We're going to talk about your family, your children. But tell me about life inside. That's got to be because you didn't run in for a couple of years. You were, you had it was you were in there for a long time. So there's a certain life and a certain type of uh, community that you exist in, and you have to survive. So once again, now you're inside, and that's a whole other kind of community.
1: It's funny because when I got to prison. Prison is like high school reunion for gang members. It's Mm. completely backwards. Hmm. Um, And so I got there and my first 12 years, because I didn't go to prison for being a nice guy, I did the same things I did before I got locked up. Gang bang, sold drugs, drank, smoked weed. Mm. Um, And even though I was still, because my dad gave me the mindset of education, I was still learning. And I told myself, I am not going to be somebody's pawn in here. I'm going to do whatever it takes to survive. But at the same time, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the hell out of here one day. And it was kind of difficult, on thing with that mindset because it took me 16 years before I ever seen my first life or go home in prison in California. Wow.
0: Um,
1: it's just something that really didn't happen. Um, so... Just trying to stay on a positive path was kind of difficult because it was like, well, shoot, I got a life sentence in California. I'm going to die in prison. I'm going to for 40 or 50 years. And that's what we were looking at before the laws changed. Um, so I did. I, I I got the trades that I needed. I went to school. I took a couple of college courses, which really should have the college program down, um, really trying to better myself because I didn't want to leave prison with an overdeveloped body and an underdeveloped mind. Right. And so it was just a process.
0: Yeah. So how did you stay sane? <laughs> what is your what was your mental health process? What was that routine? Uh,
1: if it hadn't been for at that point, mm-hmm. my God and my writings, I I'd still be in prison.
0: What was I, the first thing? Your what?
1: My faith in God.
0: Your faith in God, okay.
1: Yeah, um tell I'd still be in prison. Me,
0: tell me about that. Tell me about your faith in God and tell me about your writings
1: back to my grandmother my grandmother was a minister so I was born and raised in church okay thank God and so she, and so she had this little bitty church little behold of all church on Slauson
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that if you drove past it you would think it was a little bitty liquor store <laughs> that's because there
0: was a her. liquor store probably on both sides go ahead <laughs> I grew up oh, off sure. of Slauson go ahead
1: <laughs> It was her church, and she kept us in there. And the only congregation she had in her church was her grandkids, her kids, <laughs> and a couple of her friends. But it was her church, and she kept us in there. And she kept us in the word. Um, unfortunately, when she passed, I you know I I came to a fork in the road, and I, I I went a different angle and a different direction. But once I started to get back to that in prison, I'm like, you know what. I can get back that it'll help me and it probably close to my grandmother. So that would be back on, the, that's back on the right path. Um, there was a couple things that really spurred my attitude towards getting better. And, and, and when really like really pushed to get home and change the life I was living. One, my mother constantly blamed herself for my being incarcerated. And I just couldn't let her do that. Um, no matter what, she may have thought, oh, I could have done this, I could have done that, I should have done more. No one is responsible for my actions but me. Um, my daughter one day told me, my oldest daughter one day told me, she said, Daddy, the only thing I know about you right now is that you're in prison and you're a gang member. Mm. And that crushed me.
0: Oh, yeah, that's that, that right there. That's that's a hard one right there.
1: And so that is. The real catalyst for, like, I cannot let this be what my baby knows of me.
0: Yeah. She was how old when you— She was—go ahead. I'm
1: sorry.
0: <laughs> well, I'm trying to figure out how old was she—how were you when she was born?
1: I was 14.
0: So we try trying to do the math right here. <laughs> I'm trying to do some of the math. Okay. So you went in and she was five? Yes. Okay. And so that motivated you to do better and be better?
1: Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So when you oh boy, oh boy. So okay. I wanna know a little bit about I heard you took a turn at some point. You're in you're in the pen and you wanna you wanna start to disassociate yourself from the gang life even within the pen and you decide that you're gonna stand, take a stand. Tell me about that day in two thousand seven.
1: Two thousand seven. I've been living a lie for quite some time. Still going along with, again, being from what I just told you about my daughter my mom and everybody else mm-hmm. and the things that, and me not allowing myself to let them think that my incarceration was their fault or what they thought of me and what they knew of me. Um, I had to go have a hernia surgery 2000, late 2007. So when I came back. I, just, I was to the point where I was laid up, hurt, and I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. And so I was talking to one of my friends, and I told him, man, just get all the homies on the yard in the morning. Everybody come to the yard, and I got something to tell everybody. He was like, I know what you're going to do. He was like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. He was like, all right. So come the following morning, everyone at the yard, I walked out there, and I told him, this isn't going to be a long conversation. I'm done. I love you, but the life I'm living is kind of productive to the man I want to be. And that was the first time in my life I really had to truly stand alone, scary as all get out, because I had to turn my back on 22 men who I knew had weapons and was not afraid to use them.
0: So Darius, what you were saying, you were making a proclamation to your other brothers within the prison system that I'm not going to be a part of a gang or a family or a (laughs) <laughs> or group, I'm standing alone because I want to change my life even within this system. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That's
1: exactly what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> and you knew that if you turn around that you may not yeah. survive that walk away.
1: I knew that exactly. And that was devastating.
0: So when we come forward... We're going to talk about what happened when you turn around, where you took a step away, because that right there, that was huge. When we come forward, all in the sweet spot. If you're just joining me, I have Darius Ryan. He is uh, in the sweet spot, and you don't want to miss this. He is sharing with us his um, his time of restoration, his time, what he's learned. Uh, 25 years incarcerated. And we're talking about the day he decided that he was going to do things differently. So set this up one more time for us. Um, Darius, you were in the yard. You got all your partners together and said, meet me in the yard. We're going to, I got an announcement to make. I'm not going to do this the same way. So you're right there. You said you knew that people have weapons, knives, all kinds of things probably on them. That's not a popular thing to say. I, I would imagine it is not. Um, is this something that people have choices about? I I, I don't know. I, I don't imagine that you really have a choice in this matter.
1: It does. We do. Um, it's the difference between black gangs and different different races. Um, the politics of everything is different. Um, we deal with street gangs. They deal with prison gangs, and so the politics are very different. Um, yeah, the outcome can be the same. Uh, no one wants to see a loyal soldier go. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was very it was it was very scary, but I just knew I couldn't live that line anymore. And so, again, like I said, telling them that I was done, that was scary. But turning around and having to turn my back on them and walk that 150, 200 yards back to the building was the scariest walk I ever taken in my life. Mm. Because I didn't, I honestly God, I didn't know if I was going to be stabbed up and die right there in the prison yard.
0: Mm. So what did happen?
1: It was only one person who had an objection. Um, And his objection was met by myself and another good friend of mine who told him, look, man, if you have a problem with him, it probably, for the most part, they said, you know, by what you've done, you know what I'm saying, for us and for my homies. Ball means carry on with your life. We support you. You just know that you can't never come back. And I said, well, when I was gangbanging, I was all in, balls to the walls. So I'm done. I'm not going to straddle the fence. And so, even with that being said, before I turned and pivoted and made the walk, there was still no guarantee about, you know what I'm saying, what may have happened. Right. Um,
0: so. But they respected your decision. Yeah, as a man and all those prayers from your grandmama on Slauson (laughs) (laughs) let's be real about a thing Uh, there's some grace that was following you along the way (laughs) in my opinion Uh, very much so uh, yeah that has something to do with it so you know I was um, you were sharing some of your works and If it's not hard enough to be in the system and have to deal with the politics of the, you know, of the of the inmates, because I know it's a it's a hard life. Right. But then you also have to deal with the the politics and the pressure from the (laughs) from the guards. Right. And from that system as well. You wrote a poem. Could you share the poem that you wrote or a writing that you wrote
1: sort of about
0: that? I'd appreciate it. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Laughed at, mocked, beaten, and scorned, all by those who wear the law's uniform. Death stares and glares, words that slice. If you dare speak up, you'll be fighting for your life. I believe that the guards were there to serve and protect. Until I seen them put the coldest chokehold on my partner's neck. Hate, spite, vengeance, and death is what they serve until you take your very last breath. Most of the time, they're brutal because of the color of our skin. On the other hand, they hate us because of our sin. Some of the most violent things have been done by those who claim to uphold the laws. Then they turn to judge us for our flaws. There was a time when we would have come to blows. They'd get their crew, I would get mine, and we would go toe-to-toe. A lot has changed, but they still hurt, hate, and beat. The biggest change is now that I think on my feet. No longer am I provoked by their madness and rage. If I allowed that to wow. happen, I would surely die in this cage.
0: Okay, so what, what Darius inspired that? Was there something in particular that made you want to write about that?
1: Um, I don't know where I was at when I wrote that. I had always had a true hate for the law. (laughs) Just from the time I was growing up, my first interaction with the police when I was very young, they accused me of doing something I didn't do. Um, I was dropped off in a rival gang neighborhood by the police, hoping that I would, them hoping that I would get killed or shot up. And so it was never a good thing. The first riot I was ever in when I was got to prison was me and my friends against the police. Um, so that was that was nothing new for me, but I wanted to tell that I know for a fact I wanted to speak on that because I could never go back to living the violent life. And so that was my only way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're writing a lot more these days, and um. That's a great way to sort of um, express yourself, better way to express yourself than, like you said, in, in a violent way. And I'm glad that I'm able to give you even a platform even today, right, to be able to express it. Um, I had a guy on my show uh, when I first started this show, Sweet Spot. His name was Emmanuel and he was a poet. He was young and he was incarcerated. And the only thing that kept him alive, he said, was his poetry while he was incarcerated. And so I encourage you to keep that going. And um, maybe, you know, maybe you'll go back and spend some time mentoring other inmates and encourage them to do the same.
1: That's always been a dream of mine.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I think that that would be great. So you have another uh You have another piece, I'm going to do that when we come forward, but uh, because your relationship with women. So you had your daughter, you have four children. How old are your other children?
1: My children are 34, Mm -hmm. 28, and I have soon to be two-year-old twins. Wow.
0: So your daughter now sees you differently, I would imagine. Do you have a relationship with the daughter who said, I only see you as as incarcerated and... uh, as a gang member, she sees you differently today.
1: That she does. I mean it's it's it's, it's good because before I got locked up, it was like me and my daughter. You mm-hmm. know, of course I'm Brown, but I was the one taking my daughter to school, cooking her breakfast, you know, taking her up from school. Um we would sit back and my favorite TV show was Married with Children and we would sit back hand to my parents watching El Bunny together. Um it was it was always good. And so I think for her, when I got locked up, it just shattered her world. You know, we always talk about how people leave us when we get locked up. Mm-hmm. And I think cowardice because they, they're where we left them. Okay. To ourselves away from them.
0: Absolutely. I think we underestimate. We think it just happens to you, but it, it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. So when we come forward, we're going to continue to talk to Darius and how he's changed his life and how he's paying it forward. All this in the sweet spot. Okay. All right. We've got Darius with us. Darius, you are quite the poet and you know it. So let's hear what you got. I hear you wrote a beautiful poem called Perfection, and it's about women. Tell us a little bit more about perfection. What inspired this poem? Or who inspired this poem? Maybe I should ask.
1: Perfection came about because um, I love women, honest to goodness. And I think that there's something perfect about every woman, um, no matter what she may think about herself, no matter what she may think about, her looks may be, there's something perfect about every woman. And so in this poem, I want to let every woman know that no matter what you feel, think, or everybody else, and what anybody else says, just know there's something perfect about you.
0: All right, all right. You said you were your mom's wingman. (laughs) I kind of like that. So, (laughs) okay, wingman, let's hear what you got.
1: (laughs) All right, perfection. Short, tall, long hair, or a bob. Thick, thin, pigeon-toed, bow legs, or a model's mob. Asian, Spanish, black, or white. It doesn't matter if she's dark, caramel, or also white. It's perfection. Brunette, black, blonde, or red. She is not defined by what sits atop her head. Page boy braids or that weave crap. It shouldn't matter if she rocks it straight or leaves it to nap. It's perfection. Thick lips, full lips, thick nose, full lips, big hips and ass. Oval eyes, creamy thighs, with eyes and shades of grass. Black ones with their ghetto swing, white ones with their country twang. Filipinos with their Asian sass or Indians with their cultural class. It's perfection. The teeth, skinny, full figured is a plus. Big legs, pretty toes, stretch marks, and cellulite a must. Moment, what I'm trying to get you to see is that no matter what size, shape, color, your profession to me, profession. Well,
0: <clears throat> I feel like I should have had some theme music playing under that. <laughs> 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 All right, now. Okay. Cellulite a must. <laughs> well, uh, 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 uh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's lovely. I love it. Oh wow! So that's old to women, huh?
1: Yes, ma'am. Old to women.
0: Mm, I like that. Um, okay. That speaks for itself. It speaks for itself. <laughs> it speaks for itself. Um, what do you want to do with all this, all these writings and this poetry and all that you're doing?
1: My rising Monday. Hopefully, I can get published. Okay. Room for me to grow up like I reached my potential as a writer and I'm just looking forward to continue to do so and growing my craft as far as speaking I have been speaking hell since I can remember I've been talking to people telling my story um, helping others deal with theirs uh, I have had the opportunity to speak to the youth in different high schools um, I've been asked to work with the gang task force now in a small town up here called Wilden, California They've also asked me to speak to all the high schools and junior high schools up there, sharing my story and just talking to them about their issues and letting them see that no matter what goes on, it's always two roles to travel. And hopefully I can make them try uh come up with the best road and decision so that they, they want to travel down the road that I had to take. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. I think that coming from you, um, hearing your story will make a difference. And I think it's important. I think it's one thing to hear from Someone who has not been there in some place and some someone who has. So you'll make all the difference. Um, when we come forward, all in the sweet spot, we have Darius Ryan. All right. Well, if you've been listening, then I know you've been inspired by Darius Ryan, and we're going to keep it going. We only got a few more minutes with Darius, and so, Darius, I could not leave this hour without asking you. You know what the sweet spot is. It's that intersection between divine timing and divine power, all to accomplish a purpose. I believe that our steps are strategically ordered for a reason that the universe is conspiring. God is conspiring to uh, accomplish something great in you. And he has. And you are in this moment for a reason. So when will you know you're living in your sweet spot?
1: In truth, I think I'm living in my sweet spot, right? now.
0: Yeah, tell me.
1: Um. My sister had told me when I was incarcerated, I asked her to give me a lawyer, and she said I wasn't ready. And I know my sister loved me, and I know it was difficult for her to tell me so. Um, but in doing so, it made me do more work. And I got turned down by the prison system four times before they allowed me to come home. And the final time I sat, in the, I sat there the day of my board hearing, and I said, God, I just can't do this no more. I just can't. And I knew then had a good idea, good good idea about how the outcome would be, but I wasn't you can't go in there being cocky and too sure of yourself. Um but I went in there, had the conversation and they blessed me with I'm saying the opportunity to come home and do it again. <clears throat> and I know it was surely divine intervention because they always can go the other way. Right. Um I pride myself on the fact that I came home and I've been making strides to do what's best, not just for myself, but for my community. I volunteer. And God has changed my mind wholeheartedly about the way I see things. Man, I'm 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 thankful. And my sweet spot is now. I don't think they say they say your destiny is delayed, not denied. Mm-hmm. And I think I think my destiny was delayed to this time because the time is right. Um I kept saying that this is my year and the year is coming to an end, but I think it's gonna be explosive for me. And I'm I'm hopefully being prepared and groomed for that. Mm -hmm. So this is my sweet spot. I'm happy. I'm free. I have my family. I have my true friends. Um, I think success is relative. I think by me doing what
0: I've done, I'm a huge success. No matter what the next person's success may be, this is it for me. It can only get better. I love it. I love it. I think you're living in the sweet spot too, my brother. And I'm so, so, Thankful that you came and hung out with me in the sweet spot. Darius Ryan, um, I look forward to you coming back when you get that book done. Uh, You are welcome anytime right here in the sweet spot. You've been listening to KBLA Talk 1580 from the heart of Los Angeles, where we are unapologetically black and progressive don't miss what's coming up next you can always follow me at Angelique in the sweet spot on Instagram and uh, don't forget to check out me on Spotify that's the sweet spot with Angelique Francis on Spotify always I'm sending you love from the West Coast to the East Coast Thank you for joining me remember there are always miracles right here in the sweet spot, to the sweet spot. Cause there's healing for
2: my broken heart Trying to find some peace on the corner of crossroads and narrow. Way-